I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, it's the Guru here. Before we kick into our podcast today, I just want to mention something that's really close to my heart. And if you're able to help out with the situation, I'd love you to help out. I've got the link in my bio on my Instagram page. If you can't find it or if it's not there by the time you're listening to this podcast, send me a message and I'll send you the link. It's a GoFundMe page for a family that's involved with my uh, footy team that I coach at, the Coogee Wombats, uh, located in, the, in, in South Sydney. And it's just a tragic situation. Uh, we've had a member of our Coogee Wombats family pass away over the last week. Uh, Louisa, she's a mother of six under all kids under the age of 14 and she passed away suddenly last week. She leaves behind her six kids, as I said, and her husband Nigel. We're looking to raise we're, we're looking to raise some money for this family in a really tough time. Uh, I'm sure as you can imagine, they're in a world of hurt right now. So anything we can do as a rugby league community to help this family, I'd love to be involved involved with it. So if you've got a bit of money that you can spare for this GoFundMe page, or if you're a company out there that can maybe do something for this family, please reach out to me. Let's get it sorted. This is what I love about rugby league. When we need each other, we come together. And this is a time where this family needs us to come together for them. Thanks for your time. Let's kick off the podcast. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today we've got an interview with North Devils coach Rowan Smith. Rowan Smith, of course, he's the son of Brian Smith. Uh, Brian Smith has obviously had an illustrious coaching career in the NRL, you know, with the Illawarra Steelers, uh, Parramatta Eels, Sydney Roosters. He's been around a lot of clubs and... You know, he's had a lot of success, Brian Smith, but the one thing that he hasn't done is he hasn't won a premiership and he cops a lot of crap for it. And Rowan touches on the effect that that negative media and that negative sort of press has had on himself and in particular his family. I mean, he mentions that, you know, he'd be going to school and he'd have teachers trying to G him up about his dad losing on the weekend or not having a good game or not winning a competition or whatever. Really is another world that I guess when the media is going in on a coach, you don't realise the effect it has on the other people in their family and around their circles, a really interesting chat. Uh, He touches on, obviously, um, his roles that he's had in the NRL. So he's been a part of about six or seven NRL um, systems over the last few years, and he actually started in the early 2000s. He volunteered to help out at the New Zealand Warriors, and they took him on, and he essentially spent a few years there uh, doing a bit of recruitment, cutting up tape for Daniel Anderson for them to uh, do in their video sessions and review certain players and look at guys that they were coming up against in the, over the next few weeks and get tape on them. So a really, really interesting look into the behind-the-scenes of coaching. After that... He moved over to, to the London Broncos to coach over there. And, you know, he speaks about his experiences there working with some absolute freakish footballers. You know, we're talking about uh, Jim Dimmick, Jason Smith. You know, we talk about Jim Dimmick in particular and about his playing career. You know, he's obviously a guy that's looking for a coaching gig now, doing fantastic things. I think it's a matter of time till Jimmy Dimmick gets a job somewhere. Just one of the most, one of the most unique football brains, in my opinion, we've ever seen. He's one of those just 
your ideal ball playing lock. He's a guy that I'd love to see in the NRL. After the London Broncos, Rowan moved over to the Roosters. Uh, his father, Brian Smith, was coaching there at the time. He talks about his experiences there. It's including his time with Mitchell Pearce and his time with Todd Carney in 2010. This is a fantastic chat. Me and Rowan, we got along like a house on fire, so I've actually split this up into two parts. So today will be part one of this interview. Next Monday, you'll get part two. He's a champion bloke who, in my opinion, a coaching job in the NRL is just around the corner. He's a coach to watch out for in the future. Enjoy the chat. Let's kick it off. Rowan, welcome on. How are we, mate? Really good. Looking forward to uh, having a yarn about some footy and, and coaching in life. What's uh, what's doing up in the uh, North Devils territory at the moment? I imagine it's been a pretty chaotic few months for you, as it has for everyone else. How has it affected you as a head coach? Yeah, it's been it's been diff- difficult. Uh, you know, the competition got cancelled after after round one. Not even sort of put on hold, but after round one, we you know we had a really positive preseason on the back of you know a couple of positive seasons moving forward as a club uh, there's a good vibe around the place and good energy and a you know a good sprinkling of Broncos kids that were going to be around the place that um sort of were on the way up um there's a good good vibe got shut down pretty quickly uh, which that was probably the hardest part for a lot of the, the boys to, to swallow is like well, why is everything else on hold and we're we're out of it but uh it's been it's been really good it's been a good test of um you know what, what's our environment, our culture really like, and the majority of our players have continued to train. And as soon as the you know we were op- able to open the gym up, like we've had 20, 25 dudes like training all the time in in hope of some footy being on. And and now a bunch of those guys are playing in the Brisbane Rugby League, which is it's great to have that up and running. So um, a bunch of our younger players are against some experience playing playing good hard footy in the Brisbane Rugby League. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. We're still still training and. Uh, those that are yeah, wanting to work on their footy are, are in here working on their footy three or four days a week. Mate, tell me about the landscape of the Devils over the last you know 10 or 15 years. You know, I, I never remember the, the the Devils being a team like the Redcliffe Dolphins, which is you know where players want to be, and you've really started to change that culture. I mean, I remember growing up, and the only thing you'd ever hear about the North Devils is when they dig out that picture of Smith, Slater, and Cronk you know, sitting there, and that's all you'd hear from them. But the culture's really changed a lot over the last few years. Yeah, it's got it's got a super rich uh, tradition and history, and um, through the '60s there was a whole bunch of competitions, one back to back, and uh, it's it's twenty you know twenty plus years since the the Devils have, have held the trophy up now. But tradition and history is a fantastic thing, but it's always as a coach you you're trying to create the next tradition and and history um, while respecting and, and crediting the people that have come before us and, and trying to represent those guys um, in, a, in a strong fashion. So we've done things, yeah, differently. I, I don't really, you know, when you get a job as a coach, it's, it's quite often because things aren't the way that, you know, the administrators of the club want them to be for, for whatever reason. Sometimes it's just um, the previous regime has run its course or, you know, whatever the cause is that we, we get a job, uh, places are looking for a change and uh, yeah I th- think I probably can provide a fair bit of change uh, see things through a different lens to to a lot of coaches so um, it's been really really pleasing um, to be part of a, a, a staff now like we started here I got the job there was there was no CEO in place for the um, the coming year he got the job just after me and then you know now we're we've got a staff of six sort of full-time, people it's it's been great to see the club evolve and we've had had some good successes of of players progress not just into the nrl but we've had 12 or 14 sort of young kids in our 18s and 20s programs go on to play you know sg ball or jersey flag in in sydney under the nrl banners so you know there's been a lot of positive things to to take place around the club and it's been a real community club community effort to to drive it forward, which has been, yeah, it's been fun. If I'm a kid coming from country Queensland and I arrive at the Devils, you know, not knowing much about the history of the club, is that all part of the experience? Are you taught about the history and where the club's come from and where you see it going in the future? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one because, you know, I'm not a huge um, history buff. I'm not, you know, I, I feel quite 
uh, uneducated in a lot of senses as far as you know world history goes and stuff. I didn't really learn much about that at school and haven't haven't chased it myself. So it's a balance between you know young kids want to know what's going on right now and and where they're headed. Uh, but we definitely pay tribute to that. We when I first got the job, we gave every player that we we signed, we gave them a, um, a Norse Devils book you know and it's it's got the history of the book 85 years i think of history um in the book and a lot of guys you know they flick through it and go wow like you know um we don't expect everyone to know every fact but it's it's definitely part of it we we pay tribute to the people that came before us um you know we we reference those that are devil's legends and uh i understand that it's about past present and future all the time it's not about not about us we're always part of something something bigger um, but it's a, it's an interesting one that stuff like I've been in NRL clubs where you know there was a couple of guys at the Roosters that didn't know who Brad Fittler was Jesus you know? Christ that's <laughs> grim like, far well, out what are we dealing with here you know let alone before we go back to to other legends of the club you know Brad Fittler was the coach two years ago what are you talking about you know um, so it's it's an interesting balance between the present and the future but also referencing the the past is something that we're, we're big on here at the Devils Mate, you mentioned the Roosters there. They're one of, you know, five or six NRL systems that I've got on a list in front of me you've been involved with. But before we get to that, take me back to your childhood. Obviously, you grew up with a very unique experience in rugby league. Uh, For those that haven't clued on yet, you're obviously the son of Brian Smith. And, you know, Brian Smith, he's achieved so much in the game. And I feel like his reputation has, you know, to some extent been tarnished simply because he hasn't lifted a trophy at the end of the year. But... Mate, he has achieved so like he's achieved more than what most coaches dream of in reality, and he sort of cops the rough end of a stick. Growing up for you, what was that experience like? Yeah, it probably wasn't until I was a teenager or started coaching, maybe you know, in my early twenties, that I sort of reflected on that stuff. It was always just that's how it was. Like you follow your parents around when you're you're a kid, and we had the the opportunity to go to go to England a couple of times. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's obviously had a big impact on on both myself and, you know, my brother's a coach as well. And obviously my uncle Tony is a coach. So there's there's something in the in the experience of just being around it that sort of drove drives you drives you into it and, and listening to your chat with Fitzy uh, the other week, you know, it he being around it from day one as well. It's kind of inevitable that he's a chance of being around it for the rest of his days too. Um obviously he had such a prolific playing career uh, in between, you know, being a kid around the dressing rooms and, and being a coach himself. But for me, for me, I kind of went down the path. I was 16 and I thought, you know, I'm pretty keen to coach. Like even when I was out in the field, I was more interested in trying to help my mates to be good at their footy than, than probably spending the time on myself. Um, yeah, the experience being around it, like I was in the dressing room, but I was always thinking about footy. I wasn't just sort of being a fan, you know. I was a ball boy at St George for a few years, and I was, you know, Liam, Liam Reddy and I would be walking along the sideline, and uh, Rockets young fella is a, you know, he went down the soccer path, but we'd be breaking down the game while we're ball boy and not sort of looking at the crowd or waiting for our our pie and can of coke, you know. At the end of the day, it was. Um, I guess that analytical side of things and, and really trying to work out how and why things are happening was just sort of infiltrated into us um, by being around it so much. It's it's, it's hard to it's hard to nail it right down, but uh, you know I, I thank I thank my upbringing and my, and my dad for for exposing me to that sort of the lessons that team sport and the, the dressing room can can teach you about you know how to behave and respect each other and how to work together and all that kind of stuff is probably um and, and the work ethic that that went into it my dad you know is a prolific worker uh, probably a, a pioneer in in a lot of coaching in australia as far as the the time and effort and you know the study trips to the to the states and to the europe and stuff like he was he's kind of ahead of the game in a lot of those senses so it's been fortunate to to be around that you mentioned the uh, Craig Fitzgibbon podcast earlier, mate, and geez, like rugby league, it's such a small world. When I was, you know, doing a bit of research on Brian and yourself, like when I spoke to Craig Fitzgibbon, he said his dad got his first coaching gig in night in first grade in 1982 with the Steelers. 
he then lost the job and your dad took over from him in his first coaching gig. And, you know, now both of you have gone into coaching yourself. It's, you know, it's, it's such a small world, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's from, you know, I grew up mostly in Wollongong and, and Fitzy's grew up down the road and, you know, I used to watch him from the, from the hill, um, you know, as, and then, I, you know, we shared an office for, for a year. It's kind of, um, Sport in general is is just such a way of connecting people, and you never know like how you're going to cross paths or what kind of history is is so similar. Um, when you meet people, you feel like you've known them for a long time because you've followed a, a similar path and a lot of it, um, you know, like like-minded experiences and stuff. Um, yeah, Fitzy Fitzy was a great influence for me uh, for that for that year. He was he, he was his first year out of playing, and he was transitioning. You know, from that playing mindset to coaching mindset, and it was it was clear right from the start that he was going to be very good at it. Um, but he also understood that what players went through, so he, he's he's perfectly balanced to uh, to take that that big job when he wants to. Mate, obviously with your dad, you know, 92, 93, 2001, 2010, all grand finals he was in in that that he didn't come home with the chocolates, and you know he's copped plenty for it. We spoke about it earlier. What effect did that have on your family behind closed doors? Uh yeah, it did. It had a massive effect, probably on my on my mum mostly. Um, my my sister's a bit; she's eight nine years younger than me, but and it probably probably a little bit for her. And, and my brother, my brother's one of the uh, toughest, most resilient people um, I know, but it probably impacted him a little more. Um, I used to sometimes defend that you know the, we used to have school teachers you know when we were kids like school teachers would be sort of firing off um a bit of chat you know around the result of the weekend and you know all my mates at school they would toss it up sometimes but they were always like oh how cool is that you, you know your dad's footy coach and you're at the footy every weekend like that's they weren't really putting too much crap on us but um yeah you, you did and we grew up in Wollongong so it was you know Dragon Steelers territory and dad was coaching Parramatta for 10 years um, or he was coaching St. George when Illawarra still existed. So there was that, that sort of rivalry. Um, I felt like it was, it was resilience building in some ways about, you know, what to, what battles to fight and just you know that other people's opinions just really, um, really don't matter. So that's probably helped put me in decent position uh, to, to be a coach as well. Cause I just don't look outside too much. Uh, but it, it definitely, yeah, impacted the, the family unit. It put a lot of stress on at home. And, um, yeah, it wasn't easy to have people, you know, talking negatively. Like, it, it didn't so much, didn't really bother me too much. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't something that you wanted to see. And I think, it, you know, in Australia, it's the coaching trade is probably not respected as it is, like, in the States. You know, a learner of coaches because – Particularly, uh, I didn't have that playing background, so I've spent a lot of time like studying the great coaches and you know dudes like George Carl, like fifth fifth most winningest coach in NBA history. You know Jerry Sloan passed away not too long ago, never won a title, but like those guys, those guys are revered. You know they they've got huge huge respect for the way that they play the game and and the results that they get as well. That you know only one team can win each year. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, another like legend of NFL coaching, never won. But over, you know, over there they pay the respect to those guys, regardless of you know, being able to turn a poor team into a, a good team. That's a that's a coaching coaching success, I think. You know, maybe a lot of coaches in the NRL probably go wrong, and clubs go wrong because they think they're going to win the comp every year, but they're actually not set up to win the comp just yet. Mm. They put a lot of unnecessary pressure on themselves to to chase the wrong goal, in my opinion. Mate, obviously, you know, to your dad's credit, you know, the 92-93 grand final you came up against, essentially a kangaroo's side dressed in a Broncos kit. He then got to 2010 and you came up against that Wayne Bennett-led St. George Illawarra side that, you know, they were just robotic. It was going to take one hell of an effort to beat them. But for me... I would imagine 2001 hits a little bit different. In my opinion, that Parramatta Eels side, that's the best team to never win a premiership, and I'll be shocked if there's a better team that doesn't win a premiership in the future. I imagine that one must sting Dad still a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, I I definitely know that that one does. Um, yeah, the 92 one was great for St. George to be there. Um, 93, probably we're in a position to maybe win that one. 
uh, based on just how they were playing as a team. Uh, 2001, that team was dynamite. Like that, that was a team. That wasn't just individual stars. That was epic team footy, both sides of the ball. Um, you know, attack complemented defense, defense complemented attack, good kicking game, good goal kicking, you know, good good range of youth and experience. Um, that one, disappointing for sure. Um, but there's so many ways to measure success as a, as a coach and in an organization that um, whilst that was disappointing, you know, the, the Parramatta tenure, I guess, was a huge success um, as, a, as a whole. And 2010 was an interesting one. That was a bounce back year after the Roosters had, you know, had a pretty poor 2009, 2010. There was a fresh energy and a fresh vibe and we played a decent style of footy. Uh, the back end of the year, our defence um, really under under Robbo's sort of tutelage there, it, it, um, it got pretty resilient, pretty strong. A um, couple of things went against us in that grand final and, um, yeah, we, we won't manage to... to to get that one, but as you said, it was a pretty strong veteran uh, Broncos team that uh, Dragons team, sorry that they got the got the chocolates that day. But yeah, I think that 2001 one, yeah, that was that was tough. I remember that as a as a 20 year old kid, like that was um, that was that was that was tough. But also, you know, talking to my uncle a fair bit in the last few years and spending a bit of time in the UK with Tony, like you know, he's he's lost he's lost a lot of big games over there as well, but. You know, if you want to be able to win big, you've got to be able to risk big. You know, you've got to be able to accept that defeat, that it's just, it's part of it. Like, there's there's very few coaches that get the opportunity to just be there. There's even fewer that get to be there and win all the time. Um, so, it's, you know, you're not on your own if you haven't won a comp, that's for sure. Without a doubt, mate. And, you know, I, I sat through this whole COVID period where there was no footy on and, Fox Sports, every radio station was to who's the best player, who's the best team, who's the best team to win a comp. And I just sat there thinking, fuck, if Matt Johns was an only child and Andrew didn't exist, where would that 2001 team sit if they would have won that grand final? Because they were just on another level. Like, I remember days where your old man would take blokes off and let them play with 12 and, like, unheard of stuff, but they were just playing such good footy and he got the best out of... You know, in, at the end of the day, a lot of guys that were journeymen in rugby league, you know, like I remember Brad Drew, he just went to another level that year. He was incredible. Brady Hodgson. It, yeah, it's just, it's a crazy season how, how that one finished. Yeah, it was the, I guess it was the sort of the culmination of building there from 97 through to, to that period where it was a sort of um, evolution of the club and so many you know, brilliant young players. Like I used to love going to watch Harold Matthews and, and SG Ball and have um, you know, dad and the other coaches sort of pointing out the kids that are coming through. And I'm like, yeah, hey, you don't need to point them out. I can see like those guys are <laughs> superstars all in the same team and they were playing good team footy at a, at a young age. So they knew how to play sort of team footy. Uh, and that that's what I remember of that 2001 um, footy that it was, it was really team-orientated. It wasn't dependent on, you know, a star or two stars. It was the impact that each other had, the other that made people great. And then some guys got accolades of, of, of playing rep footy and stuff, but it was really a culmination of the great team performance was seeing individual accolades, I think, that year more than, you know, the, the, the other way around. Mate, you mentioned when you were playing footy that, you know, you weren't as focused on your own football. You were sort of more focused on helping the blokes around you to some extent. And, you know, to me, that's got coach written all over it. But when you were playing, what sort of a footballer were you? What position were you playing? Well, I mostly played 5'8 as a, as a kid growing up. Um, when I got to sort of men's footy, playing down in Wollongong for, for Collies, I played wherever they told me to play. Played a couple of games in... Uh, first grade on the wing, and I was like, ah, no, not that keen on that. But uh, no, I, yeah, I, was, I sort of understood the game pretty well, so I could slide in wherever. Um, but I like, you know, I like calling the shots and like pointing people around. And had a uh, had a good kicking game. I spent a lot of time um, from a from a young age. Uh, Dave Allred, the he's a guru kicking coach um, from from the UK. He he came out to St George actually when Dad was coaching there and being taught by some of the guys that he taught how to kick. Uh, kicking was a big part of big part of my game, and I was quite quite good at that. But, um, yeah, I didn't have the dedication to to train hard 
um, to, to see how where I could push myself to. But uh, part of the reason there, I guess, I was always you know driven towards coaching. I was reading coaching auto, autobiographies and books as a as a teenager instead of reading the you know the HSC texts. I was reading you know about coaches or players um, from great sports teams. When you were younger and obviously the dream of playing first grade was still there to some extent, who were the guys in first grade that, that you watched and you appreciated the way that they ball played? Probably Laurie Daly was the one um, I, I used to used to love. That was, that was probably the first player I can remember thinking like, wow. I mean, there's, there was other guys, but I used to watch that 89 grand final. It was like a morning ritual at my house so seeing like guys you know I get up straight out of bed press play you know and then when I had to go to school or get ready for school or whatever I press stop and just resume it the next morning and then when it finished I started again um, so any of the guys in those two teams like I kind of respected because of I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today what a contest that was and I remember thinking like that even as a kid watching that just thinking wow what a contest um the ebb and flow and who was going to win and and whatever but yeah in the sort of through my teenage years or um yeah Laurie Daly and Brad Fittler were they were the other ones that I yeah respected the most because I I guess because they ran the ball hard you know they were great running players as well as having having the skill they were real all-round footballers, weren't they? Yeah, I, I like that aspect of not just footy, and, but, in, you know, in life, trying to be well-rounded, um, being able to have more than one trick and in footy context, being able to play different ways, like those guys could create opportunity through carry, pass, kick, um, where I, I think a lot of young players sort of aren't encouraged to do that so much anymore. Who are the halves playing in the game now that, you know, you might be sitting there on Friday night watching them play and they'll do something and you'll ring your half back and say, fuck, did you see what he do? What 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 happened then and how, how he addressed that situation? Who are those guys in the modern game? Yeah, that, that happens all the time, by the way. The, uh, yeah, I'm not shocked. Yeah, with a couple of guys I've got here, Jack O'Hearn and, and Bryce Bryce Donovan, a young kid, Harry Freeband, they're always on the on the text. But um, And Sean O'Sullivan, I've, I've got a close relationship with the Bronx like we're you know that that can happen pretty often. Um, I, there's lots of guys, and I can respect how they play the game um, in in different contexts. Like I still love watching Mitchell Pierce play. Like I spent some you know a couple of years with him and, and got to know him quite well. And I think that guy has probably the most all-round great skills. Like maybe always um, come through in every performance. Like he's he's had some certain you know massive purple patches, but the ability to like rip a long ball both ways to kick, to run, to tackle, to compete. You know, we used to use um, some footage of Mitchell, like when he was 17, that was, you know, just getting into first grade. We used to use it as, um, like, this is how to compete as a halfback. We used to use that when we were at the Knights and the Roosters um, to other younger players. I think uh, I always respected, you know, what what he's done in the game. Um, I love watching Mitchell, Mitchell Moses you know, I think he has a that all-round skill set. He's fast. Uh, Luke Keary, he's a he's a player. He's a player. I he's mean, a footballer. yeah. You know, seeing the the evolution of, of Nathan Cleary as well has been been cool. Like I love Cherry Evans. You know, I, I really I was at the Titans when he when he agreed to the Titans, and I was you know I was that excited to just get up close and see how and why he does things how he does because he's a bit unorthodox but so highly skilled and and coming out of that manly program uh with the you know jamie lyon and the stewart boys and if mad and blokes with you know real footy high footy iq um you know that would have been a, a great experience as a coach but i mean I, I i watch you know i watch every game i love watching every game and i watch the individuals but yeah not just not just the halves i think 
the underestimated part about footy and under coach bit is that the halves, you know, have to be seen to be the smart guys all the time. Where like I love, I loved watching Jamie Lyon play. Like he was, you know, just one of the smartest footy players, most aware footy players. But you know, played right center pretty much his whole career. Uh, I like that aspect of footy as well, like working out who the influential characters are outside of the, you know, the spine unit. Mate, the way that Jamie Lyon played, like. I'd almost want to say he revolutionised the centre position because he was like a second 5'8", but the reality is no one could replicate what Jamie Lyon was able to do. He, he was just different, wasn't he? Yeah, just fantastic instincts and awareness. Um, he could read the read the scenario, he could create, he could prevent, he could just manage the clock, you know, he'd just take a load off. But, you know, that, that kicking game on that side of the field, like, I think that's an under under-practiced, under-utilised aspect of the game where, you know, they're much easier, those kicks, for centres to do than when the halfback's got three blokes sprinting at him and, you know, all sorts of pressure. Give it to your centre and he's got that running thread or he can kick it. Like, it's, um, yeah, it was just... I remember watching him play SG Ball at Parramatta and, you know, that was he was a special, special character um, at that level and then just kept going through the grades in that same year. I think he played SG Ball and, and NRL in the same year. Um, maybe not I think so uh, but he didn't need many Reggie's games or he didn't need much underneath to get him ready to be a superstar and he just did that his whole career it was unbelievable mate I believe your old man was coaching him the day that he just went back to the country do you, do you remember that day I don't remember like and I don't actually I don't know if I ever actually asked what you know what what actually happened other than yeah I'm out of here um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know the, the ins and outs of that story or how it, how it came about, I, I probably probably should ask. Might be an interesting one, or it might be a tender one. I'm not sure. Mate, uh, there was a guy that you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, Sean O'Sullivan. You've obviously had a lot to do with him, and for me, you know, I know he's coming off an injury, but if he isn't the best halfback, not playing first grade, I'll give it away. I think he is a sensational ball player, and like Tommy did, and he's a really good young footballer. But when I watch Sean O'Sullivan, he's just got something a little bit extra about him, doesn't he? Oh man, he's even before you watch him on the field, his his football IQ and his knowledge of the game and awareness is, um, you know, it'd be unparalleled for someone his age. Uh, but you know, when you put it in context, that kid's been watching footy and been around footy um, with his old man. Just you know, similar situation to to myself. Like I met Sean when I was at the the Roosters, and he was only a kid, you know, a young kid, uh, and we would have footy conversations and I'm like, yeah, this is like what I was as a 12 year old. That's, that's how, you know, reminds me of my own upbringing a bit. And Sully's got great awareness of the game and he knows how to bring other people into the game. And he, he plays straight, you know, he, he plays straight and he plays short inside out. Um, he gets criticized and, you know, a lot of, Things have held him back in his career because he's had a couple of knee recos and he's he's got no speed. But what he has got is speed between the ears, um, like very few others. And I think he, at the right time he's going to make a you know, a club. He's going to do a good job for a club. And whether he can end up being a you know every week first graders probably you know he needs to get some some footy under his belt and uh, make sure his body holds up. But it won't be because if he's um, you know, his skill set or his, his awareness of the game and he's a good team team player. You know, I, I don't know if the time's right. Like, I haven't been able to see him train during the, uh, you know, the NRL bubble. I'm normally in at Broncos training quite often and, and seeing how things are going. But um, under the current rules, you know, I, I don't know exactly where he's at, but I know he's very, very close to being cleared to play. So, um, you know, I'd love to see him out there. He's, um, yeah, he's a super talented guy and... You know, Blake's love playing with him because he's, he's a talker. He's an old-school halfback that needs to be, you know, on the ball and, and dictating and running the show, and, and he he's, he's great at that. And, we've you know, we're lucky enough to have him for 15 or so games last year at, at Norse, and he, he did a great job. Yeah, he's one guy that I really like, and, I God, I hope his opportunity comes along soon. Mate, take me back to the start of your coaching career. Um, you told me before that you volunteered at the Warriors in the early 2000s. Tell me about that. Yeah, I... I was still at uni. Um, I was teaching teaching swimming. That was actually my first coaching job is teaching swimming to like four to six-year-olds, um, teaching them how to sort of get 10 metres uh, with their freestyle. I was 
get comfortable on their back doing backstroke. Um, Jeez, you uh, you learned patience early. My God. Oh, I'd have five or six of them at a time, and mum and dad are saying, you know, can you make sure you're really hard on them and whatnot. I'm like, meanwhile, before the class started, they're climbing trees and you know throwing rocks and carrying on, and then they come to swimming. And, but it was it was a great experience, and I think it it actually helped uh, teach me that that patience and awareness of how to deal with different kids because um, we're dealing with different people um, in every situation. So that was my first gig. Uh, but my last two years of uni, I was uh, – and uh, Daniel Anderson got the job over there at the Warriors and I don't know exactly how it came about, but um, he asked me to just do some bit of um, sort of scouting work, check out the opposition individuals and, and come up with a little bit of a breakdown. Um, so I used to do that on the weekend and send it through on a Monday morning and did that spent a lot of time watching footy on video those two years got the real appetite for it and then a, a role sort of was created at the at the Warriors which I saw you know in reflection it was like a hardcore apprenticeship of of coaching where I was in the video room like many of the um, the great American coaches you know started chopping up video uh, breaking down film and stuff for the for the coaches to use, I was doing a lot of that stuff and, and just being exposed to, to the detail and the um, strategy that Endo would, you know, he, he had such an impact on that club. Um, he's, he's an eye for detail and attention to detail in teaching skills. He's um, probably unlike any other I've come across, um, you know, in my time. Mate, after the Warriors gig, you, uh, you make your way over to England for the first time with the London Broncos. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, that was cool. They, uh, they, were, they were struggling a little bit and um, Tony Ray was looking for an assistant coach and when I went home um, from the from the Warriors, not too long after after Daniel got sacked, I, I went back to Australia as well and was sort of just starting to plan ahead for maybe what might happen in 2005. This was halfway through 2004. Um, made a call to my uncle, said I'd love to come to England if anything ever opens up over there. You know, with him or with someone else, like you, you know, can you keep me in the loop? And and he said, oh, actually, I'll I'll line you up with Tony Ray, have a chat. We had a chat. Um, Tony was on the tube in London, so you know, it's it's renowned for signal coming in and out. So we had a, a phone call over three or four, you know, dropouts, and <laughs> it was a positive call. And then he called me back the next day, and we sort of took the next next steps there. That a really um, experienced team in two thousand and four, but weren't sort of performing how they wanted to be and we're in a little bit of relegation risk. Um, I think they were on six points when I went over and Castleford might have been below them on two or somebody somebody was on two points. So it's like with 12 or 13 rounds to go, it was a bit uh, a bit sketchy. Uh, Jim Dimmick was was great for me and Dennis Moran, like uh, experienced guys that they, they knew me as a kid um, at, at Parramatta when they were playing there. Um, but those guys were, were super, a little bit intimidating for me as a, 23-year-old coach. Um, those guys had obviously been coached by great players and had great experience, but they were really good at helping um, integrate me into the, the program halfway through that season. They had a lot of other experienced players sort of coming towards the back end. Played some decent footy, escaped relegation. Uh, and then 2005 was a super exciting time. Like we, we had a lot of new players. Um, I had a big opportunity to help that recruitment process um, which was fantastic and we we had a really good 2005 season made the playoffs and um, sort of put put the Broncos on the map there for for a little bit it was uh, a great life experience as well I love my live music so there was a chance to uh, to see a band pretty much every other day uh, in London so that was a that was a great time mate you mentioned Jim Dimmick there and you know he's a sort of guy that he hasn't He's sort of stayed out of the limelight since he finished playing. But for me, he's one of the most underrated footballers we've ever seen. You know, for younger viewers or for younger listeners that are listening in that don't remember Jimmy, tell us about him as a footballer. Yeah, well, I saw him obviously playing for the Bulldogs. And then when uh, when Dad got the job at Para, uh, both he and Jason Smith were signed to, to play at Para. And probably, you know, quite similar in a lot of ways. Uh, so the way that Parramatta played in that period of time was unlike um, a lot of other sort of standard ways of playing. Though both those guys were five eights or forwards or whatever you wanted. You know, they were edge back rowers. They were just genuine 
They were footballers. Yep. So, you know, Johnny Simon was kind of running the show a bit. And then those guys, what what the problem was with both of those in the same team, he probably needed two balls because they both won the ball all the time, um, could create with their skill, footwork, you know, just genuine willingness to run through and over people as well. Um, Both tough players. Um, Yeah, two of my favorite players of of all time, those guys. and Jimmy, you know, got a great mind for the game. I've, I've never spent any time with Jason Smith, but uh, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Dimmick, a, a great mind for the game. Um, so I'm, you know, got no doubts that he's a, he's passing that on uh, to to plenty of new players as well. I imagine our uh, Jason Smith must have kept your dad awake some Saturday nights. <laughs> I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. But far out, what a player! I remember one day at uh, at Brookvale, just seeing him just dominate a game like. Just time and you know a lot of the times we're, we're talking about you know players we're wanting you know all the coaches want good athletes and whatever and, and not necessarily was he a great you know out of the mold athlete but footballer phenomenal phenomenal mate after your time over with the london broncos i believe you returned to the newcastle knights you do a bit of recruitment and you coach the under 20s there yeah the there was a big shift in roster um, from 2007 to 2008, uh, and I, you know, I love watching video. Didn't have a family; um, I was on my own, you know. Um, so I would travel a lot to Sydney every weekend and watch lots of footy. I uh, watched went to St Mary's one day and watched a couple of games out there, like SG Ball and, and Harold Matz. And then I drove to um, Cronulla one day, and they had five grades on. They had Matz, Ball, Flag. Reggie's and then NRL and so I've watched seven live games on the on the one day. It's, You're a lunatic. That's exactly where I would want to be on a Saturday. Nowhere else. Yeah. Um. So, I yeah I really enjoyed doing the grunt work and, and the leg work on that stuff, like going to watch players live and sort of putting my recommendations forward to to those making the recruitment decisions. Um, did some coaching with the the attack with the NRL in, in 2008 2009 and sort of. You know, we were moving on from Joey. Joey had retired in 2007, so it was a new, um, a new, new team, a lot of new players, and a new way of sort of playing. And that was that was a great challenge. Um, and then 2009, I was doing the attack for the NRL and and also coaching the under 20. So that was my first opportunity as a as a head coach of a team. Um, so that was that was a great experience. Really, really enjoyable. Which uh, which blokes are in that under 20 side that are now playing first grade? Oh, I actually I found a um I found the round one big league team the other week. Actually, I'll I'll get it. Hang on, I'll just grab it off my phone. It's, How good's um, finding an old big league and just losing two hours reading through the old team list and everything? So good. Oh man, but yeah, off the top of my head, there's um like guys like Peter Matautia, Ryan Stig, um even guys like Jonathan Ford who played two NRL games, but is still a professional player. Uh, playing for Toulouse right now, that that's a that's a, a success. Um, Kevin, I've just got it here. Uh, Kevin Nagamo is named in that. Mitchell Garbutt, Zane Tedavano, Con Mika, uh, then the the Titans team like Jai Hitchcock, Kevin Gordon, Jordan Rankin, Cody Walker, Cecilia uh, Vave, uh, Ben Ridge, Ben Ridge, great guys like that. There's you know Luke Page. It's cool to yeah reflect on you know teams from from back then and seeing the success of, of kids just not just progress with their footy but also seeing them do good things in life. Um, that was a, yeah it was, a, it was a great year. Good good bunch of young kids. Can I ask you, mate? You said you watched a lot of like Harold Matts and SG Ball footy. Is there a standout for you that you saw as a kid and you just sort of went fuck this bloke's got it and he's gone on to deliver what you thought he could. Yeah, I mean, someone that I haven't had anything to do with. Um, is, I, I remember watching Lachlan Coote. It was actually on that day um, out at St. Mary's that I spoke of. That guy was just chasing bombs and catching them, like just jumping over the top of people to catch attacking bombs. And that is one of the hardest skills, I believe, in, in rugby league, like to, to run with the ball that's high and catch it going forward is much harder than... When it's, when it's on its way to you and seeing him do that, you know, multiple occasions and just great awareness of general awareness of how to play and support play. And, but, you know, 
back then, I don't know if it was Harold Matz or, or SG Ball, to be honest, but he probably looked like he might not be big enough to be an NRL player at that time. But obviously, you know, he worked hard on his body and became, you know, a super clever, super skilled player. Um, so that was, you know, I'd, I'd never seen him play until that day. Sort of marking him down as a player. I wasn't sure if physically he was going to get there, but like footy-wise, man. Um, but seeing up close, like uh, Anthony Mundine and Nathan Brown and those guys playing, like even as a kid, Gordon Tallis, like, those guys were always going to make it. Um, seeing guys, seeing guys make it a bit later, like is also a good thing. Like Isaac Liu is a great example. Daniel Tupu, those guys that were like they were at other clubs, not really thriving or succeeding playing under twenties, um, but stick at it for long enough. Like Isaac in 2012 played. I think he played pretty much every game at Newtown. Just played a good solid game. And 2013, bang, NRL, and I don't, he's probably never played a reserve grade game since. Like, there's there's so many stories, man. I could I could talk about those things for forever. Tell me, mate. After your time at the Newcastle Knights, you can't you arrive at the Roosters now? I, I believe Brian was there at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was going into the fourth year of sort of working under the old man, and I was umming and ahhing about whether whether it was the right thing to do. But the the lure of um, some some superstar players and particularly you know Mitchell Mitchell Pierce like the chance to to sort of work with him doing the attack was um yeah it was too good to be true. Obviously with Mitchell Pierce we spoke about him earlier but I imagine when you were there that would have been the peak of him just copping shit left right and center. You know he he couldn't he couldn't tie shoelaces up without someone bagging him for how he did it and the way he's come out of that I imagine you know take footy aside but as a bloke the growth in him and the experience he's had. Just incredible where he is now. Yeah, well, I, like I, in 2010, he just played. He played really well. Like he played consistently really well, and and a lot of the stories, and rightly so. Like Toddy Carney had some huge games that year, and um, you know, won just dead set, won a few games for for the Roosters that year. But Mitchell Pearce was just so consistent, and and really the driving force behind performance and and behind pl- you know playing in a different style that he that he was, you know, accustomed to in previous years. He, um, so I don't know if he copped a lot in 2010 because he he was playing consistently well in a team that was going well. I think it's been mostly, you know, most of the time where players cop a hard time, it's usually when, you know, individual and team performance aren't sort of going, going, going the right way. Um, a couple of years, you know, 11 and 12, we didn't have good seasons, so... You know, halfbacks always wear a fair amount of the. If it's not the coach wearing the the uh, the flak, it's usually usually the halfbacks' fault for not not coming up with something. Um, so it's it's good to see. You know, Junior survived um, a lot of that criticism and and negative publicity. And you know, some of that footy he played last year, back to back games, was um, you know among some of those purple patches like Jared Hayne or Joey Johns and that, those kind of guys have had in the past. Mate, we mentioned earlier about Jason Smith probably giving your dad some sleepless nights. I imagine Todd Carney, you know, you know, at the sort of footy he was playing, the energy would have been high. Being in the bright lights of Sydney for the first time as a player, like the, you know, and for that year, you know, everything went perfectly. But there must have been, you know, a couple of nervous moments here or there, wouldn't there? Yeah, I'd like uh, I probably in my younger coaching, like I'm 39 now, but when I was 29 or 25, I probably spend too much time worrying about what players were up to away from footy. Um, and now, I, you know, in my time as a, as a head coach at Bradford Bulls and that kind of stuff, like I think as a coach, if you're worried about what's going, you know, you want to care for your players and try and help them the best you can. But if you spend too much time wondering what they're up to um, or stressing about that, it's going to detract from your actual ability to to set the environment and the culture how you want it to, to go. You know, you got to have a trusting mentality. Um, yeah, sure. Some sometimes players take advantage of that, or they don't reciprocate it a hundred percent. But they're they're all young men trying to find their way in life. So, I'd, like back then, I probably used to wonder what was going on um, a lot. Not not specifically to any one player, but just in general, whether players were always dedicated towards their goals actually being. He, you know, seeing it through and really attacking their own personal goals. Um, 
rugby league still got a bit of a culture around sort of partying and and whatnot. It's a lot better, I think, than it than it used to be. A lot more players are, are dedicated towards you know rugby league really being that priority. But um, yeah, you can't spend too much time wondering worrying about what it is like. A lot of guys have had different upbringings and different experiences, which which makes them who they are today. But like in saying that, a lot of guys when they're 20, by the time they're 30, you know they're they're different characters, and it's it's great to be part of that that journey, I guess. Thanks again for joining us on the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Stay tuned next Monday. We'll have part two of our interview with Rowan Smith. He goes through the rest of his coaching career and we talk about the modern game, what he sees and how he sees the game going. Really great chat. I had to split it into two because it was simply just too long, but you'll absolutely love part two. It's a cracker. As I said at the start of the podcast, if you're looking to donate to that fantastic cause that I mentioned at the start, uh, send me a message or you can click on the link in my bio for the GoFundMe page for the family from the Coogee Wombats tragically lost their mother last week rest in peace louisa stay tuned for the rest of the week we've got a big week on the rugby league guru podcast we'll have our minutes that mattered our top five players and our round 14 preview it's going to be an absolute cracker i can't wait see you during the week Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 